With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Happy Monday and welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Thank you so much uh, for joining me. Uh, man, we're going to start the week off with a bang. I'm so glad uh, you made the right decision to come join this show because uh, we're going to keep it popping all day today. Royce White's going to join us, Dave Shannon, Shamika Michelle, TJ Moe. Uh, I'm going to set a fire uh, at the beginning of this show uh, about Elon Musk and the whole Twitter deal. And, and then, of course, we're going to end it uh, with Uncle Jimmy and our approval rating. Uh, so buckle up, kick back, sit back, get your fire retardant clothes on, call your, your wife and kids and, and your husband and say, baby, I'm going to be busy for at least the next hour, uh, maybe hour and a half, maybe two hours, who knows, because uh, Whitlock's got a fire burning and I'm going to sit back and be warm by this fire. Uh, based on the reaction to his bid to buy Twitter, Elon Musk is 100 times more dangerous to the establishment's vision of a new world order than Donald Trump. The response to Musk has been measured and strategic as opposed to emotional and impulsive. The establishment unleashed its gaggle of celebrity pit bulls on the former president. A pack of rabid actors, athletes, broadcasters, comedians, and print journalists gnawed at Trump's ankles for four years eventually crippling him and turning the 2020 election into a contest of what well-intentioned Americans would do to stop Adolf Hitler 2.0. Nothing they wouldn't do. There's not enough time to reimagine Musk as Hitler 3.0, especially since corporate media prematurely gave that title to Russia's Vladimir Putin. The attack on Musk will be led by Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan Chase, and a team of lawyers, all hired by Twitter's board of directors to thwart his proposed $43 billion takeover of the social media app. Stopping Musk's existential threat to globalism will be a game of chess, not checkers. In the technology-driven world we now live in, a matrix designed by Silicon Valley, controlling Twitter is more important than controlling the White House. That's why Twitter's board would rather kill itself than turn the app over to an individual who believes in freedom, free speech, and the U.S. Constitution. The poison pill enacted to stop Musk could easily double as a suicide pill for the board that authorized it. By denying shareholders the right to vote on Musk's proposal, Twitter's board has abdicated its fiduciary responsibility to shareholders. 
Rather than act in the best interest of shareholders, the board served the interest of political and activist stakeholders. Musk forced Twitter completely out of the closet. The app is hostile to free speech and a partisan tool reserved exclusively for Democrats. Worse, the reaction to Musk's takeover puts an impossible to ignore spotlight on Silicon Valley's control of public discourse and American culture. The Twitter Musk controversy brings into focus the power, importance, and influence of the five families governing the BLM, LGBTQIA Alphabet Mafia. The Alphabet Mafia reports to FANG, F-A-A-N-G. The acronym CNBC host Jim Cramer gave to Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. Musk's bid to buy Twitter is an attempt to defang America. Twitter's the hitman for the Alphabet Mafia. Twitter assassinates reputations with false narratives and unfair allegations of racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia. It censors, silences, and diminishes opponents of the Democratic Party. If Musk acquires Twitter, he'll have access to the algorithms, tactics, schemes, and correspondence that led to, among other things, Twitter disappearing the Hunter Biden laptop story and the banning of this nation's 45th president from the app. The richest man in the world owning Twitter is far more dangerous than even Donald Trump seated in the Oval Office. Trump could only complain about fake news and its origins. Musk could expose one of the co-conspirators in the alleged shadow government headquartered in Silicon Valley in the Pacific Northwest. The members of FANG do not want one of their soldiers, Twitter, captured and interrogated by Elon Musk. That's way too dangerous of a proposition for a man like Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg, who already faces questions about the more than $400 million he spent fortifying the 2020 election. Musk's involvement with Twitter could disrupt the warm and fuzzy narrative painted in Time magazine about the secret bipartisan campaign that saved the 2020 election. Someone could snitch. In order to save the establishment, Parag Agarwal, Twitter's zealot CEO, might be willing to off himself, climb into a bathtub and slit his wrist like Frank Pantangeli in The Godfather 2. You guys remember that. But Jack Dorsey, one of Twitter's founders and a member of the board, sounds like a man looking for witness protection. Dorsey spent the weekend working on his Salvatore Bompensero impersonation. You guys remember Sal. He was an infamous character on the TV show The Sopranos. Everyone called him Big Pussy. He was one of Tony Soprano's best friends from childhood. He was a rat and a snitch. Dorsey might be Twitter's big pussy. In a response to a Twitter user complaining about Twitter's board, Dorsey tweeted, it's consistently been the dysfunction of the company. When another user tweeted that good boards don't create good companies, but a bad board will kill a company every time, Dorsey responded with big facts. When a user asked if Dorsey is allowed to talk in such a transparent manner, Dorsey stated flatly, no. 
Dorsey is off the Twitter reservation. Yeah, he signed on for the poison pill, but he's off the reservation. He resigned as CEO in November. His term on the board ends sometime this year. He's friends with Elon Musk. Dorsey has joined the Musk Twitter great again movement. Dorsey is an insurrectionist. In my view, he's really a traitor with remorse. Three years ago, during a three-hour podcast interview with Joe Rogan, Dorsey and one of his top underlings, Baeja Gaddy, I believe, acknowledged that Twitter's algorithms were designed to amplify the voices and impact of groups Twitter deemed marginalized. Fang, F-A-A-F-A-A-N-G, and its alphabet mafia are located in Northern California in the Pacific Northwest. Those areas believe the most marginalized people on the planet are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, asexual, and the silent P, pedophiles. Their voices have been amplified in corporate media to the point that no other voices can be heard as clearly. Twitter was the primary tool used to normalize lesbian, gay, and bisexual behavior. It is now in the process of normalizing transgenderism. Estimates are that 1.4 million Americans identify as transgender. That's 0.4% of America's population. Not 4%, 0.4% of America's population. We are dramatically changing American cultural norms and socially outlawing biblical Christian worldviews to please 0.4% of the American population. We've normalized gluttony in this country, but you can still speak against it and remain in solid standing on your job. That is not true for many Americans as it relates to sins of sexuality and gender. There is immense pressure to change your values or risk punishment from the alphabet mafia. The Twitter Elon Musk says he wants to create values free speech above hurt feelings and culture policing lynch mobs. Musk's version of Twitter would adhere to the principles spelled out in the US Constitution, not the principles written and rewritten in Silicon Valley. If Musk is successful, Fang may soon regret sicking its dogs on Donald Trump. The silencing of Trump and the sabotage of Parler awaken the masses to the corruption and true agenda of the alphabet mafia. They're not promoting fairness, equality, and a higher form of democracy. They're making offers people can't refuse in pursuit of authoritarian rulership and a new world order. Mm. I think that's my favorite fire. I really mean that. I love it. It's, it's, man, I got to talk about everything. I've been on this topic for six or seven years. Northern California imposing its values on the rest of America and the world. Been writing about it, talking about it, fire starting about it, wit logging about it for about seven years. And, and I'm finally getting to the final points that I wanted to make. 
there is a shadow government out of Northern California manipulating everything. They've driven us into this technology matrix and they create the reality and they make you live in that reality. And then in your real world off the internet, they make you carry their reality into your workplace. And if you don't think all the right things that are approved by Twitter and Facebook and all the companies out of Northern California, you risk losing your job, losing your ability to take care of your family, losing your ability to move up in corporate America. Elon Musk is a threat to all of that. And I, I'm, you know, not a thousand percent comfortable with Elon Musk. R wish that he was an out of the closet Christian, but you just never know how God uses people. And, and you know, people got hammered that supported Donald Trump because Donald Trump's a hot mess in many regards. And he's not a proper representation of Christianity. And so evangelicals got lit up for their support of Donald Trump. But we can't decide who's going to stand up and allow themselves, put themselves in, be in position to be used to push this country a better direction. And, and look, bottom line, I, I'll take the blame as a Christian. And as someone that, you know, in this tiny moment feels like he's speaking for Christians, but we failed. If our leadership, if we were the light that we're supposed to be, we wouldn't be depending on these non-Christians to save us. But we've fallen off our job. We've allowed them to bully and silence us, and we've chosen the safety of corporate America rather than standing on our principles that we say we believe in as Christians. Uh, I'm gonna bring a real one in here, and that word gets that, that phrase gets tossed around a lot. A real one. Uh, T.J. Moe is a real one. Uh, T.J. and I uh, have spent a lot of time talking about, you know, social media and and uh, Elon Musk and Twitter and just what's going on in the culture, uh, and we. <laughs> continue to share religious sermons and conversations. So uh, we're going to go out to St. Louis and bring T.J. Moe in. And so T.J. will start here. Uh, what do you think of my contention that Elon Musk is a bigger threat to the establishment than even Donald Trump seated in the White House? I completely agree. And, and so I read your monologue this morning and heard it just now. And I'm going to try to articulate some uh, additional points to back up what you're saying, because I think the, the big line that caught my attention in your monologue was what you just said. Controlling Twitter is more important than controlling the White House. That crystallizes the entire idea of where we are today. The truth is that if you control Twitter, you will control the White House. That's the Breitbart doctrine, right? Andrew Breitbart said politics is downstream from culture. So the question is, how do you control the culture? How do you get people to conform to your ideology inside the culture so that you can seize control of the politics 
to make your ideology law. That's the whole attempt, right? They want the law to reflect what they're thinking. The easiest way to do that is to eliminate all voice of opposition. I mentioned this phenomenon to you in the past. Uh, I will try to shorten it here. Solomon Ash conducted a conformity experiment in 1951. Okay, You can look up the details, but the gist of it is this. It shows that if you feel like you're the only person that thinks something, you are far more likely to conform to what you believe the masses think than if just one person, if only one other person comes out and voices their agreement with you, you are seven times less likely to conform to the group. And so the idea is, and why censorship is such a big deal and why progressives feel like they've got to own all the major platforms is because right now they can stomp out all opposition. There is nowhere for conservatives to go. They tried to start Parler, and as you mentioned in your monologue, it the second it began to create steam and gain steam, the Apple took them out of their app store, Google took them out of the Google Play store, and Amazon, who was who, conducting their servers, shut them down entirely. So the second there was an opposition somewhere else that they didn't own, they had the power to shut it down. Leftists control all of the, the major American institutions, the media, education, that's universities, all the way down through the teachers' unions in elementary school. Social media, the CDC, all three branches of the federal government right now, all of the messaging comes from above. This is the first time that I can remember that happening, where they get to message everything. Now, Fox News shows like Fearless and The Blaze. Thank God we have started to have a bit of a fragmented media. But the reality is, is that they are controlling all of the messaging. But what's funny is... Twitter is actually the smallest of the major social media platforms. There's somewhere between three and 400 million actively monthly users. That is worldwide. It's only about 75 million in the United States. TikTok's got a billion active monthly users. Instagram, a billion and a half. Facebook's nearly three billion. But Twitter is the only one that is built for public discourse in the news. That's why it's so important. That's where the journalists hang out. That's where you can break news. The reason it's such a big deal is because it's linear. In your timeline, when you log on, you can see what somebody tweeted one second ago, and it's going to come in in that order, so long as you have it set that way. And so you get to see an actual, my, my brother is not a social media person at all, but he goes there for the news. He just needs to see what's going on today, and you can see it in the in worldwide. And so. The news cycle now has moved so fast. When you log on to Instagram, oftentimes the first thing I'll see at the top of my timeline is something from three days ago, because that's what they have deemed to be popular. It's got the most likes and the most comments, and I'd probably like to see that. That doesn't give me a picture of what's going on in the news today or the public discourse, which is why the journalists hang out on Twitter. And so all of the breaking news, this is why Adam Schefter has crazy amount of Twitter followers, because the first thing he does when he gets news, he goes straight to Twitter. This is true for all the journalists. The, the um, attack on Ukraine was probably broken on Twitter. I mean, that's the reality of it. It is the one-stop shop for news. Instead of going to 15 different websites, you just get to see. I get to see MSNBC's perspective. I get to see Fox News' perspective. I get to see Jason Whitlock's perspective, all right there on one website. And so... Twitter, while it is the smallest of all the major platforms, it's the most important for public discourse. And if you can control public discourse, eventually you control the politics, you control the culture, and the culture gets you to sign into law your own ideology. And so Elon Musk, I think, has a way bigger impact than Donald Trump could because Trump, even if everything would have gone perfect, let's say he got reelected, eight years, 
and you're out. But if you can open up public discourse and you can affect the culture by just allowing people to have their voices, other people, it's not just you. Donald Trump can only speak for Donald Trump, and most people are glad that's true. If you can only speak for you and then you move out, the new ideas don't get to move in. This is why Twitter is a huge deal. Open it up to everyone. If Elon just puts a little bit in the chink of the armor of the social media monopoly, then conservatives have a chance again at retaking the culture and then the politics. So Jack Dorsey, I, I, I don't, I go back and forth on what I make of him. Uh, he, he, he signed on unanimously to the poison pill that the Twitter board recommended. And then he spent all this weekend uh, taking a dump on the Twitter board in, in tweets that he acknowledged were like, oh man, I really shouldn't be saying this. Uh, what, what, what do you think, and I'm, you know, Jack Dorsey's originally from St. Louis, I don't know if you know that, TJ. Uh, but w- w- what, what do you think Jack Dorsey's role in this is? Is he a friend or foe to Elon Musk? Mm, great question. I think they're friends. I think he is, I think is upset that his company that he built from the ground up is in a position where it should take this deal. He's working on something called Blue Sky right now. Like this, the part of the reason that he stepped out as CEO is so that he could work on a decentralized social network. He actually is on record over the last couple months saying that the centralization of the internet is one of the worst things happening in society. And that's because they get to dictate, right? Google gets to throw things at the top of the page if they want to and help dictate the news. And then the censorship that has ensued with all of the other social medias. He is working on something to actually try to, he's got, he hired like five engineers. It's gonna be a a several years long project, but he wants people on Twitter to be able to talk to people on Facebook, to be able to talk to people on Instagram. And he's working on making it less of content moderation and more of just, just allowing it to be decentralized because right, Facebook in this case would not be able to uh, tell somebody on Twitter what they couldn't say, right? So if you open it up to everybody, it becomes how the internet once was, where everybody could do something. That is his most ideal world. What he struggled with, and I'm not a huge fan of Jack Dorsey, to be honest with you, but this is a redeeming quality. He believes in free speech, but he knows that if you just have a free for all, there's utter chaos, right? If, if you let all the bots on and you don't vet anybody, then he says you, you couldn't sift through anything. There's got to be some sort of moderation, at least with the bots. And this is why Elon, when he was talking about uh, you should have everybody verify, everybody should get a check mark so you know you're talking to a human, right? And that way you at least have to stand behind your words and maybe that changes public discourse. And so I, you, you obviously, you know, hate speech. The left likes to say is not protected speech. Well, yes, it is. You know, you can't arrest me if I come up and say something really terrible to you. It doesn't matter how hateful it is. But I also can't threaten your life, right? So that's the stuff that should be taken off of the platform. If I say, Jason Whitlock, I'm going to kill you, and here's how I'm going to do it in a plan, then you, should, you know, the FBI should probably show up at my house, right? If I'm devising a plan for that. So there is a place for this this moderation. The problem is, and I think there's a case to be made. I think the government actually played into leading Jack Dorsey to where Twitter got. They sat Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg and everybody else in front of Congress so many times and they said, if you don't fix this, we're gonna regulate you. And so they started down the road of self-regulation. 
Well, the only thing that ever, ha at least the government, when they regulate, has limitations, right? It's like they can only go so far in a private company unless you're going to turn into a utility or whatever else. So the limitations are good. But in a private company, and this is what everybody always talks about with Twitter, is that eventually, like, you don't really have bounds. They're protected by Section 230, and guys like Jack Dorsey get caught up in their own ideology, and eventually you start censoring in one direction, your own biases. I'm no fan of government uh, regulation uh, much at all, but you can make the argument in this case that government regulation would have been a, a much better outcome than what we've seen with these social media platforms. I, I go back to, and I don't know if you remember this as distinctly as I do, but uh, Jack Dorsey was on the Joe Rogan experience a second time, and Joe got to bring Tim Poole with him. And the conversation, and, and there was a woman, Viaja or Viaja or whatever, whatever, there was a woman on that worked for Twitter that was with him. And, and Jack Dorsey at one point talked specifically about that Twitter was going to and felt like its purpose was to amplify the voices of certain marginalized communities. And it's, it's the number one thing I took from that uh, interview was like, okay, they, they know exactly what they're doing. They believe that the LGBT community has been marginalized and their voices must be amplified. And, and that's their duty, their service to the world. And I just feel like they've been amplified to the point that people with a different set of values are just being drowned out. And the number one people being drowned out are Christians who have a biblical worldview and, and want to stick to the principles taught in the Bible. And, and you know, I guess and again, that that's my problem with Jack Dorsey. I don't think he has any faith in God. And then that's my concern about Elon Musk is is, you know, these secular people leading these platforms and public discourse because American freedom is strictly attached to Christianity. That's what the, the ideas and the mindsets that drove the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence were all an expression of a Christian worldview. And, and so if you develop a platform here in America that's highly secular and hostile to the Christian worldview, you're inevitably going to inevitably going to limit freedom and limit freedom of speech. That's exactly right. So Elon, everybody likes to make the joke he's an African American because he's from Africa. He values what America offers, like people who were grown up here and groomed into this ridiculous uh, left-wing ideology don't do. I actually have a little more faith in Elon for that reason. He can he actually has some outside perspective that, you know, you look around these places and you look what America has done for me. It is a very good place. He may not understand where the origin of these principles came from, but I think he's identified that they're good principles. I don't know if you've you've seen him. Um, he did a an interview with the Babylon Bee, and he went to town on wokeness, basically called it a mind cancer. I don't have the exact quotes, but he hates the woke ideology. And so and the guys in the Babylon Bee are all Christian guys. So he sat down with those guys. I don't 
Elon's got some weird thoughts. You know, this idea with a Neuralink think I, th I think is a little bit scary. Um, this idea that we're all going to have to live on Mars at some point, even though it doesn't have an atmosphere, is a little bit scary. He's out there a little bit. Okay, so I don't know. You know, people who are usually that far out are not typically uh, super spiritual because they're they're it just doesn't connect the same way. I don't think he's that guy. However, I think he's identified that the American values have produced greater results than any place in the history of the world. And so he's sticking to those values. Whereas people, uh, Jack Dorsey's a St. Louis kid, the heart of America. It's like, he doesn't really hold those same values. He grew up in, I would assume a bit of a uh, at least relative to the rest of the world, a privileged upbringing as we all have to some degree. And so, uh, look, I, I don't have a huge, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm developing a soft spot for Jack as we go through this, because I wonder if being friends with Eli and a guy that is upset where his platform ended up, I wonder if Jack is going to try to aid in the sale of Twitter when it's all said and done, because he's a guy that says at the very least that he values free speech. He's now working on something. He's already stepped out of Twitter. He's working on something to try to decentralize, uh, the power of all these social media companies. And so would he then turn around and rather see Twitter be taken over by somebody who believes in free speech than leave it to the guy who's, who's on record as basically saying, I don't think we're held to free speech. I think we should be pushing people to the content that we approve of. Yeah, the, the CEO that replaced him uh, doesn't care about free speech at all, doesn't care about the US Constitution at all. Uh, you know, he's got his own ideology that he wants to impose on the rest of the world. TJ, uh, thank you so much. I'm gonna let you go. Uh, keep it moving here. Uh, I wanna tell you about my friends at Patriot Mobile. Almost every day we hear about another major corporation that has gone woke, tormenting their employees with leftist propaganda and funding organizations who seem to hate this country's traditional values and the Constitution. That's why I'm proud to support Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative cell phone provider. They offer the same nationwide coverage as the major carriers. So you get the same great service, plus the peace of mind that your money is supporting free speech, life, and liberty. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, and their exceptional customer support team is 100% U.S.-based. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Jason or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation with the offer code Jason. Veterans and first responders save even more. So make the switch today. It's time we support companies that love America, love you, and share your values. Patriotmobile.com slash Jason. Patriotmobile.com slash Jason or call 972-PATRIOT. Guys, it's so crystal clear what we need to do. If we want to protect this country, we need to be supporting companies like Patriot Mobile, patriotmobile.com slash Jason. All right, don't go anywhere. Dave Shannon. Thanks. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to Idaho and bring in our main man, Dave Shannon. Uh, Dave, welcome back. Uh, I'm going to start you off a little differently uh, than everyone else. I, I, I want to start here about the amplification of the LGBT voice over Twitter. Uh, I saw, I just mentioned this to TJ, I saw the interview 
uh, Jack Dorsey did with Joe Rogan, where they talked about amplifying certain voices, marginalized voices. And, and I feel like uh, the number one voice that Twitter and all these social media apps want to amplify is the LGBTQIA plus silent P. Uh, and, and I think that amplification has harmed free speech in America because they use Twitter to convince everybody that if you stuck to your biblical worldview and values, you were therefore homophobic, transphobic, a bigot, a terrible person, you need to be removed from your job. I think that's been the most harmful thing that uh, Twitter has done. And so I want you to comment on that and then whether or not you think Elon Musk will have the courage, if he does get control of Twitter, to roll back that amplification and allow free speech to become the norm again. Yeah, um, well, on the first point, Jason, I think that we have to come to terms that um, there is no neutrality whatsoever when it comes to voices being amplified or silence. Somebody is going to silence a voice. The question is, is it our platform? And I think that we keep on thinking for some reason that somehow Twitter belongs to us and it doesn't. Twitter isn't ours. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to somebody else. And we keep trying to fight for it like it's ours. Uh, Twitter has basically sprinkled all sorts of uh, feed for cattle, and we've walked right into it. And all we've done is complain that the master of this field isn't treating us the way that we want. And so what do you expect when you don't own the platform and they do? They're only propelling their worldview and their voices that they want to create. So it's no surprise that that's the case. The only thing that we're doing inside of this field, this gated field that uh, Twitter has trapped us all in, is arguing for a better master. And Jason, I, I, I think that we have to be very careful here because what we're doing is using, in one way or another, the Constitution to help us do that. And the Constitution wasn't designed to do that at all. The Constitution was designed to limit the federal government and how it acts upon us. The Constitution wasn't designed to limit Twitter and how it acts upon us. Twitter, if we want the Constitution to treat us, to treat Twitter like we treat the federal government, then what we're doing ultimately is giving this techocracy the, the foundation that it wants to be a government. We are lifting it up to a particular standard by saying, you have to act like the federal government because you have the same power as the federal government. And so therefore, we're giving the techocracy exactly what it wants. And we need to rethink how we're doing this. We could, Twitter okay, is no hold different. hold for a second. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're making a great point and, and one that needs to be illuminated on. Uh, but, but what do you say, like TJ's argument just before you was like, hey, what Twitter's doing in the social media apps are establishing cultural norms and then using those cultural norms to uh, bully lawmakers into making laws that reflect our new cultural norms. And so yeah. I, what, what, what I hear you say that, look, hey, Twitter is not the federal government, but they're using 
their power to influence public discourse, shape public norms, to uh, influence the federal government, to make laws that may make people with a Christian worldview uncomfortable or seem hostile, not just uncomfortable, hostile to a Christian worldview. I have no doubt that TJ is seeing that right, but I want to put a few things before we get to Twitter. I want to put government education has created a culture and environment that allows for Twitter to be able to do what it is. Twitter is working in a second tier towards government education. Government education has fueled and influenced a group of people that create Twitter. So Twitter, again, we got to remember what makes culture. Culture is made by the family first. Culture is made by the father who teaches his child the lineage and line that he's in as it relates to the story that God is telling. So when families have abdicated their responsibility to cultivate and nurture their kids through education and have given that over to government entities, then they make a very ripe environment for Twitter to be able to manipulate laws as well as control the culture because parents are. They're the culture makers. They make human beings. Moms grow ears and teach kids how to read. Fathers disciple and cultivate their children. Jason, Twitter won't have my kids. The government won't have my kids. The LGBTQIA plus, the peace sign, they won't have my kids because I've already designed and cultivated the culture inside of them of a Christian worldview. And that goes to the point I was trying to make earlier, um, which was that I underestimated, Jason, the importance of Twitter, but I underestimated it as in the context that Twitter is counting on an immoral polis to be able to take over and do what they're doing. And what we have had is an immoral a group of people that can't. So if we let's say for a second that we get free speech like we want with Musk, right? Um, it was Edison or not Edison. I'm sorry. It was Madison and Adams that really said if we don't have a moral people, it doesn't matter how much we try and push the Constitution. It won't hold up. It's not designed for immoral people. So if you try and take free speech and apply that directly to Twitter without a moral people, what you get is just a decay, a more faster decay of culture or just as fast a decay of culture because it isn't about applying the free speech. It's about applying the standard and objectivity of the God of free speech. Remember, you don't have free speech because the Constitution gives it to you. You have free speech because God has given you that, and the Constitution is acknowledging the realities of that God. And so <laughs> just trying to love the gift of God apart from God gets you more slavery because you forget the God who gives you the gift. And it's baffled me watching Twitter and people, you said it earlier in your, in your monologue, Jason, 0.4% transgenderism in America and the tail is wagging the dog right now. And the only reason that the tail is wagging the dog right now is because the dog doesn't know the difference between his head or his tail. And so if you put free speech in that without knowing the difference between the head or the tail, you're still going to get a, a messed up system that doesn't flow well. So... Uh, I think that we have to get back to the foundations of who makes culture, what culture is going to ultimately win out Facebook, Twitter culture or parents taking owner responsibility and ownership 
of training and teaching their kids and teaching them about the world that they live in so that they have a moral base so that the Constitution works. Let me ask you this, Dave, because excellent points. I mean, like really good stuff. You're really this is what I love about this group of contributors. You know, y'all just take my stuff to a whole different level. Uh, But but are you suggesting that because part of what I heard is like, hey, man, the education system, which is run by the government, is creating the people that are creating this immoral culture. So should we be working to get back control of the education system or should parents be working to just take the responsibility of educating their, their kids themselves? This is a very good question. And there, I think this is a two part system because we have to we need to know what the, the absolute standard is. And then we have to know how to get to that standard from the place that we currently are at. So I don't want to live in a pie in the sky world. The absolute standard is parents and families taking control and teaching their children themselves. That is the standard. We want to have a privatized form of education where the government doesn't tax the people. So right now, if my kids they are going to a school that is in our community, uh, a private school that holds to all the values that I believe in. I'm also taxed on top of that to pay for somebody else's kids and other kids to go to school and use a system that my kids don't use. But because of the situation that we're in in the world, I find it extremely valuable to continue to take that hit and to send my kids to government education. So we have that's the standard. We want families to be able to control in every way the education of their children. The other thing is that we also want to be able to remove the federal government and the governments from overtaxing people and putting them in a situation that they're forced to send their kids to government school because they don't have any other options. And the way that we destroy this system is remember that we have three types of government in the world. We don't just have a federal government. We have a church government. And we also have the family government. And these three governments work integral to making the world work. And when we lean too far on the federal government, the federal government becomes the family. Jason, the federal government is in control of our health care. The federal government is in control of our education. The federal government is in control of everything that the family is supposed to be operating in. And that is not their job. The federal government has one job, mainly one job only, and that is the job with the sword, to punish bad guys. That's what their job is. They're not controlling economy and economics. That's not their job. And so the family is the government of education, welfare, and health. That is the things that the family is supposed to be in charge of and manage and take care of. And then we have another government, Jason, that's the government of the church. The government of the church is the word and sacrament. They are to make sure that people's hearts and souls and that the moral foundations of the culture are being taught and educated and guided. And we need to lean right now, particularly in the form of education, on the government of the family and the government of the church so that the church and the family can subsidize whatever financial failings that we have in the process of trying to educate our children. So whatever way that we can break up the monopoly of the federal government so that we can have these other two governments, church and family, leading the way in education We have to be able to do that. So, yes, we have to break up that monopoly and we need to lean more with other things, not just education, onto these other two governments of the church and the family if we're going to get out of this. You've just explained in in 
two minutes why there are people that passionately believe in limited small government. But I don't think it, I don't think it's being explained the way you just did it. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and and I'm wondering why is it or has it is it being explained that way and we're just not hearing it? Uh, but, but again, you just explained a, a biblical worldview that's hard to argue uh, w- with anybody, but, but maybe it's people's reality and circumstances that make them say, well, hold on, man, How, how's the family going to do all this when the family is a single mama or a grandmama or grandparents raising the kids? And so maybe they just maybe people reject it because they think it's impractical what you're arguing. I, I, Jason, I think that's part of it. I will say my mom did it. She was a single mom. She was a homeschooler. It was hard. I think the hardest thing, though, is that when people see responsibility, they run from it. And what social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, what they've done is taken away the responsibility and made it easy for us to have to engage. I want to throw this out here. Gab is a social media platform that got canceled, that got shut down. They got all their services stuff taken away from them, and they have engaged and made themselves self-sufficient. And so nobody can shut them down, and they're winning right now, but it was hard. Jason, we don't get out of this. I said this last time. We don't get out of this through voting. We don't get out of this through some sort of savior. We get out of this through hard work and engagement. If we want to win, if we want to see the crumble of these false gods, it's going to take two things. Hard work, getting our hands dirty, working extra hours, spending time with our families, making the culture that we want to see. That's where it is in the home, in the church. That's hard work. Stay up late. And the second way, Jason, is through prayer. That is the best option that we have. If we're not praying at the end of the day, we're done because prayer is taking our offerings to God and say, Lord, we need you to fight for us because we are not capable of winning this apart from you. And until we bend the knee and start praying like that, none of this work is going to get done, Jason. We have to know that we need the help of the Lord to do it. Dave, we're going to end on that note because you just uh, uh, hammered the point of and and I I watched I think three different Easter services yesterday, but uh, Mike Todd's service in in Tulsa Oklahoma, basically about Easter. What the theme was, the most courageous thing you can do is surrender to God's will. And so w- we think, you know, you got to go fight, 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 fight. No, just surrender to to God. And and that's really the theme. You you just talked about is is we keep trying to do this without God and it just can't be done. Uh, And so if we don't drop to our knees and humble ourselves and and then when we stand back up, then we got to be willing to follow what we're told to do. (laughs) That's right. And so I just I I just want to thank you. Uh, Great job, as always. Uh, Like the fearless swag. Uh, kind of, your beard kind of blends into the, uh, uh, <laughs> but anyway, that's chocolate as, knock. As it should. The Idaho potato. <laughs> uh, Salute, Jason. Awesome job. Yep. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com. 
Uh, man, between TJ Moe and Dave Shannon, I got the perfect person uh, to come in and hit after those guys. Royce White. Hurts. I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just Welcome back. Uh, time to uh, roll up to uh, Minneapolis and bring on uh, the smartest man on the show. I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to call him and Delano that. Uh, Royce White. Royce, thanks for uh, making the time and joining our discussion today. Uh, y- you, you know, you've, you've heard my mono, you read my column. I think that Elon Musk, the more that I think about what he's doing and potentially trying to do with Twitter, he's a much bigger threat to the establishment than even Donald Trump. And we've heard uh, for the last five years, the establishment act as if Donald Trump is an existential threat and could bring the world to an end. But I, I think the richest man in the world in control of public discourse through the control of Twitter is is just a far bigger threat than even Donald Trump. Am I right about that? Yes, I would say yes. You know, I think there's a crisis of leadership worldwide, as I've said before. And um, here and going forward, there's going to be people who are uniquely placed in positions of, of influence that have the ability to rise up and be very effective leaders against the establishment, against corruption, uh, against everything that's wrong with society today. And and Elon Musk, as the richest man in the world, and one of the most inven- uh, innovative thinkers, is is definitely positioned to do that. Um, and, and, and I have uh, hope that he will. He will do that. I think he's making great strides and pushing back on, on the tyranny through Twitter. Um, at the same time, I wanted to talk a little bit about Donald Trump through this this piece uh, or through this consideration. I don't think it's quantifiable to the everyday average citizen what Donald Trump did, okay, what Donald Trump has done uh, to fight back against the establishment. And and I want to try and lay this out for people to understand properly. Um, What Donald Trump did laid the foundation for what Elon Musk may be able to do in the future. And what he did was put a huge crack in what was the outer wall of defense for the globalist establishment. And that outer wall was the Republican Party. And I'm running as a Republican here in in CD5 in Minnesota. But the Republican Party, and even more so, the perception of the Republican Party through the controlled narrative was what Donald Trump tore down. And that perception is that the Republican base are racist, Republican voters are racist, and that the Republican establishment are the opposition for the Democrats, and neither one are true. Okay, there are racists on both sides. There are racists on both sides, and you and I have said before, and I have said before, and I feel this way deeply, that that neoliberal racism is profound and much more impactful than far uh, right-wing white supremacy. Um, In fact, you can get so far right that they become one and the same, like Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger was too extreme for Adolf Hitler. That's a historical fact. Uh, that's not to, to you know, say anything um, 
not to say anything positive about Hitler. It's just to say that historically, Margaret Sanger was so extreme that the Nazis even were like, this woman's crazy. Okay, um, so the, the Republican base are not racist, by and large. They believe in America. They believe in freedom. They believe in small government, and they tend to believe in God. Tend to, not all, tend to. Um, and the other thing is the Republican establishment has been in on it with the Democrats since 1945. They've played a game where they've presented themselves in the political theater as being oppositional on issues that are somewhat marginal. They're cultural issues and they're moral issues, but they're not, they're not the fundamental issues that have shaped what our country has become today, in which are issues, let's say, like the national debt, free trade, um, the, uh, the military expansion around the world. Those are the linchpin issues that have shaped this new globalist world order. And at every step and, and turn, they have capitulated and been in on it with the Democrats. And Donald Trump broke that narrative. And that is what opened the door for there to be a, a, a political ideological revolution in this country. Uh, and, and Elon Musk is going to step into that breach now, hopefully. Royce, this is exactly why I love having you on the show. I'll write something and be sitting around patting myself on the back all day, and then you'll take it to the next level. Because I, I love this point of, yeah, Musk is more dangerous, but there, Musk wouldn't be doing this if Donald Trump hadn't shaken us all up and even shaken people like Elon Musk up to fully understand like, hey man, we, we've been sitting in a game, a rigged game, and, and, and that the Democrats and the Republicans have been in on it. When you say things like that, and again, you're running as a Republican, you're making the Republican or the Republican establishment nervous about you, but, but I, I guess what you're saying is Donald Trump has made it possible for you to do that and to run as a Republican. The WWE political theater that took place for four years was to make Donald Trump the scapegoat so they could pretend that all of the things that he was saying that were fundamentally true about our system here in America and the globalist system abroad um, was just that. And, and the reality is that I'm not saying that how Donald Trump said what he said was always the best, but how I say what I say isn't always the best. And that's the case for many of us. And, and, and in fact, we should be very skeptical of these highly polished politicians who have no dirt under their fingernails and say everything that people want to hear on all sides. That's chameleonic politics. And I'm, and I'm positioned to be able to speak on that because the NBA as an institution and many pro sports or many woke companies aren't in fact even so woke. I don't even think they believe in these things deep down. I think they're playing chameleonic politics for political capital, uh, you know, in, in the places where they aren't explicitly satanic. And those are the two modes that we're facing from the globalist institution that's headed by the left. But the Republican establishment is in on it. And Donald Trump provided a, a truth and courage that allowed people to be able to step out and say that because before the Republican base had nowhere to go but underneath the leadership of the Republican establishment. And now you're seeing a split between the Republican base and the Republican establishment. And right now, I think Americans 
from the Republican conservative right wing movement are trying to vet out their leadership just as much as they're trying to criticize the, the left. How do you, and again, I know this is speculation, but how do you think Donald Trump feels about or will feel about Elon Musk if he is able to take over Twitter? Will it all just be determined about, well, if Elon Musk is in charge, does Donald Trump get to return to Twitter? But do you think Donald Trump is supportive of Elon Musk and the moves he's making? I would think so. Yeah, I would I would I would say so. I, I think people underestimated how big of a bait and switch it was that Donald Trump was was uh, banned from Twitter in the first place. I mean, the, the the banning of Donald Trump from Twitter was the telltale sign that we are in a free fall towards tyranny uh, that is being headed by a by a global technocracy. And, and it's predicated on on many false premises. And, and you know, the, the, the most powerful man in the world, the president of the United States, should never have been allowed to be taken off Twitter in the first place. And I think if Elon Musk does become uh, the, the, the head of, of Twitter, you will see that Donald Trump is able to return. And even if that's not the case, I think that Elon Musk will bring uh, a resemblance of free speech back onto the playing field. Uh, and, I, and I know that Donald Trump would be in support of that. Do you think, and I know this is speculation, but I'm trying to read Jack Dorsey's behavior. He's on the board. He helped, he was part of the unanimous vote uh, for the poison pill, but then he spends all this weekend basically taking a dump on the board. He had some tweets that were clearly direct shots at the Twitter board saying they, you know, at the foundation of the dysfunction and you know, big facts when people are, are criticizing the board. Where do you think Jack Dorsey falls? Is he just trying to save his own rear if, if, if Elon Musk takes over? Where, where do you think he stands in all of this? It, it's hard for me to read Dorsey as well, you know? Um, and, and I think this is true of many of these leaders. You know, this, this, part of the problem with our society at, at large is that this thing has gotten so big that it's become very difficult to read any individual's motives and intent, um, especially in a situation like the C-suite or the relationship between the C-suite and their board of directors and who actually wants what. I mean, these are the places where double crosses and triple crosses are are, are in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of occurring every day in our country and around the world. So I don't know exactly where Dorsey is on these things. I would tend to believe that Dorsey from an ideological standpoint, is more upset with the board that they're not willing to capitulate and bend to take Twitter further left. Um, and, and that Elon Musk is coming from a place where he uh, would like to affect the board and Twitter going back towards the right or really towards the center, uh, you could say. And, and so I think, I think that's the dynamic, but both of them as individual, as individuals, uh, you know, uh, individual innovators and thinkers and, and engineers and, and creatives. Uh, I think right now that conversation is them fighting against the collectivism of 
corporate America uh, that that stifles the ambitions of the individual entrepreneur. And, um, you know, it, you know, th there are many ways that that could play out or there are many motives that could be behind that. But I think at the heart of it, that's what it is. Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk share that individual entrepreneur position and, and they're railing against how board of directors have hijacked the entire uh, independent business owner uh, America. Uh, Royce, I want to switch up topics, something that hit close to home right there for you in Minneapolis. <laughs> Your political opponent, Elon Omar, uh, posted a ridiculous tweet. Uh, I, I think, do, do we have the, we have the video. L let's play the video of uh, some people, I think, singing on a plane. I think they were trying to inspire some Ukrainians that were on the plane. Uh, let, let's play the clip. So they're basically singing a Christian song, uh, and she, on Saturday, uh, I think my family and I should have a prayer session next time I'm on a plane. How do you think it will end? Elon Omar uh, from Somalia uh, basically playing a card that, oh my God, if, if you know some Muslims were leading a song on a plane, uh, the plane would be hijacked or grounded or what? Anyway, it's ridiculous. She's getting trashed by it. You're running against her for her seat. What was your take? My take is Ilhan Omar is the, the prime example of what Donald Trump was able to illuminate about D.C. and D.C. politics, about the entire political culture, is that there are issues like God and faith, freedom and country or war, let's say in the Ukraine, that are being played on multiple angles by enemies that that walk in the shadows, that walk away from the, the sight of the everyday American citizen because our mainstream media isn't doing their job. And if they were doing their job, you would see, for example, an Ilhan Omar who whose platform and allegiance you know, to the Democrats she serves is explicitly anti-God. <laughs> she can't pray in Nancy Pelosi's office. She can't go in Joe Biden's office and pray. She can't pray with the LGBTQ community that she's trying to garner the votes from so so hard here in, in CD5 in Minneapolis. You know, she can't pray with the feminists who say that that Christianity and, and America is, is, is white supremacy or the patriarchy. So to even make the theoretical proposition that her and her family would pray in a public place at all is completely dishonest. I mean, here's and. I want to talk about the Ukraine, too, in this aspect, because I think that's another good example. But first, here's how America and the world has begun to be divided. People who believe, people who don't believe, people who say they believe but don't practice. OK, now, both of those two thirds of the pie pose a huge problem for the one third that do believe. And I think that middle portion of people who say they believe but in effect really don't have strong faith, are moving closer and closer to just abnegating faith in God. And that's Ilhan Omar. And there are Christians like that as well. They're not getting a pass from me. Catholics aren't getting a pass from me. The Pope isn't getting a pass from me. There are many people who say they believe in God and are taking and using God to take the Lord's name in vain. But this idea that the entire Christian faith 
or that God himself is a weapon of evil is completely ridiculous. And that's what she's trying to pose here. She's trying to trying to peddle an anti-Christian sentiment and use uh, the persecution or, or anti-Muslim uh, narrative as a as a as a double and triple cross. And, and it, it's, it's just offensive. You know, first of all, again, you don't believe in God. Truly. I mean, you know, let's be let's just cut through the, the bullshit. She doesn't believe in God. She doesn't believe in the Muslim God that she tries to present herself to believe in. All of her actions are contradictory unless she's trying to propose that she herself is 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 revolutionizing the Quran and the faithful teachings of the Muslim faith, which many of these leftists are doing. And they're that middle portion of people who say they're Christian, Muslim or Jewish, but in fact, in fact, are trying to change all of the fundamental pillars of of faith itself. There's nothing more arrogant and anti-God than that. So I don't even accept the premise that she would be praying. Do you think, and a a lot of people, I I think she hates America. I think she loves the opportunity, but I think she actually hates America. She loves the fruit, hates the tree. It's deeper than that. She hates herself. She hates herself. (laughs) America is just a byproduct of her hate for herself. And many people have come to hate themselves. I'll, and let me show you on the, the, the Ukraine is a perfect example of Ilhan hating herself. She goes, well, you know, we got to support the Ukraine. Everything Putin's doing is this terroristic, uh, evil, tyrannical uh, genocide. Right. But then she votes in the Congress to not ban the Russian oil. She says we can't we can't stop buying the oil. We can't ban the Russian oil because the effects would would would, would never end. Why is she saying that? Because they need the Russian oil at the expense of the Ukrainian people who they say they want to save. They don't want to save them more than they want to keep control through the climate racket that is in full swing. So we can't tap our own oil. We need the Russian oil to to keep flowing, regardless of what Putin's doing to the Ukrainian people. And they're doing it right in front of people's face. And we're so high and we get our politics with French fries so much that we don't even take ourselves seriously enough and our citizenship and our freedom and our humanity or our faith in God to double check what these people are actually saying. They don't want to ban Russian oil because Putin's not that not their main enemy. Humanity is their main enemy. And if they have to sacrifice the climate lobby that is explicitly anti-human and ethos, They'll take Russians oil. They'll take Russians oil as long as they need to at the expense of the Ukrainian people, the same way they push NATO weapons up to his border and provoke the war on the Ukrainian people. They play chicken with the Ukrainian people. And now they're trying to double back down and use it as political capital to go after a man who's a nationalist who didn't want to buy into the globalist racket. And it offends me. It offends me that they think we're so stupid that we can't see this game which is why I got into this race in the first place, because politicians like Ilhan and the people who run her, Henry Kissinger, Klaus Schwab, the whole, they think we're stupid. If Putin is our enemy, let it be the case that he's our enemy. Stop buying the oil, tapping our, our own oil for the Ukrainian people so that the economics aren't entrenched and convoluted into a, a, an issue, a geopolitical issue that is supposed to be about human rights and human dignity. 
they convoluted them on purpose so they can play both sides of the fence. And it offends me. And it should it should offend every single person across this 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 earth. Royce, you're always on your game. I'm reluctant to say it, but I'm going to say it. This was your best work. Uh, I'm sitting here. You're, you're too young. But there used to be a TV show called The Incredible Hulk. And and David Banner would <laughs> you don't want to make me angry. And and he turned green and turned into this beast and people had to deal with. That's what I felt like I was sitting here watching. Uh, <laughs> the Incredible Hulk. Uh, thank you so much for blessing us today. Uh, that was your best work. Uh, hey, tomorrow, we're going to bring another beast on. Uh, one of my best friends uh, from Ball State, although I'm younger than Papa John, but Papa John Snyder is going to join us. He got poison pilled the same as what they're trying to do to Elon Musk. Papa John got poison pilled out of his own company. Uh, he's a Ball State grad. He's a very good friend of mine. He'll join us tomorrow. All right, stick around. Go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit the notifications and the subscribe. Shamika Michelle and Uncle Jimmy. Next. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights which are granted by our Heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen. All right, welcome back. Time for some shamoke before we get to our approval rating. Uh, Shamika Michelle. Make me. Uh, rejoining us or joining us. Uh, she's got, she wanted to ask you a question, Uncle Jimmy. I don't know why. Uh, she thinks you have some wisdom to impart. Uh, we'll see. Shamika, uh, welcome back. Uh, a bright ray of sunshine uh, to a great episode of, of Fearless. Uh, what do you got for Uncle Jimmy? 
Well, Uncle Jimmy, this story has been making its rounds on social media. There is a trans woman, of course, a biological male, that has impregnated two female inmates in a prison in New Jersey. And my question to you as someone who has been in law enforcement is, do you think that this is really a trans person? Mm, you are the perfect person to ask this question. Uh, knocks up to. <laughs> Did this ever happen to you, Jim? <laughs> no, I've never knocked up any inmates. Oh. <laughs> A guard named Lily. <laughs> I'm glad I was prepared for that. I'm not even going. I'm not. Uh, uh, anyway, let's keep it moving. Let's keep moving. Um, I don't really know why Shamika chose to ask me this question, but. Can we see the picture? Did we show the picture of who the, who the guy is? The alleged, alleged. This Come is on now, transgender person. Uh, uh, first of all, let me just say that if I committed a crime, and if I had to go to prison, with transition, I would have to make that transition. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Uh, uh, by me being in law enforcement, being working in correction for 17 years, believe me when I tell you, it's better to give than it is to receive. <laughs> understand that I'm just gonna leave it at that <laughs> I, I, I based on the picture I saw on the internet I honestly feel like this is a fugazi in terms of a total like rig job it's like he decided well I'm gonna be, keep being a criminal and this is part of his strategy if I go to jail I'm gonna go I'm gonna go lay up with these women uh, and he laid up with these women. <laughs> how, do, how do they let you keep your equipment and go to a woman's prison? How does that happen? This is this has actually happened before, Jason. This has happened to me. I've, I've dealt with this. You've dealt with this. Honest to God, if you want to, I've dealt with this. We had a, we had an inmate that used to come in, which was a frequent flyer, and his name was Robin or Robert, but Robert had gotten to the point that he demanded that we refer to him as Robin. And it got to the point that I did refer to him as Robin and I had no problem with referring to him as Robin. And the thing about Robin, Robin was, he was one of us. And the thing that surprised me about Robin, Robin was truly transitioning, this before they even called it transitioning, okay? He was actually, he actually had the breast. Okay, so since he had the breast, he demanded, hey, I need to be put in here with the women because this, and, he would always say, his bottom line was, I'm transitioned, I need to go with the women. We're like, no, Robin. Well, you have to go and check and make sure that, they, that they're telling the truth. So our captain, Captain Pearson, a female, goes in, she's old, been there 30 years, to see if Robin is telling the truth. And she came out and she had this look on her face and I giggled, I'm like, <laughs> he had it tucked, didn't he? She said, no, he had it rolled up. <laughs> Just telling you. Drop to the floor. <laughs> Kick stays down. <laughs> uh, this is a true story. All right. There uh, you go. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why y'all looking at me like that? He asked. <laughs> Tamika, uh, let me ask you, do you think he's legitimately transitioned or is it just a scheme to avoid male prison? 
I definitely think it's a scheme. And in reference to Uncle Jimmy's story, I would say if it's long enough that you have to roll instead of tuck, I can understand why it would be hard to get rid of it. Um, but I do want to say that I think <laughs> this is a huge problem. And um, it's actually a real problem. In Washington state, they are housing an inmate now who was convicted of raping a 12-year-old girl. They are housing him with female inmates. And there was also a case of, in 2021 with a male going into a female spa and exposing his erect penis to naked girls. So I think that it is important that we begin to understand that it's the small fox that spoil the vine or in everyday terms you give them an inch they take a mile we have made this so that it they they can do this they can make up these lies and say i identify or i feel like a woman and so you can go in there and not just impregnate people who are willingly wanting to have consensual sex but to really harm females who are in prison. And so I do think that we have to really stop playing this game with them and stop being crazy along with them because it's a huge problem. And I no, I don't think he's really a trans. I think he's somebody that is finagling the system. Mm. All right, so Jim, you had a question from Shamika. Oh yes, most definitely. Uh, Shamika, I noticed yesterday, by the way, yesterday was Easter. Happy Easter to everybody. Thank you. You know, there was a card that, uh, a video that went out uh, over Easter that somebody said, uh, Happy Easter. And it was a video of, uh, if we could play the video, here you go, Happy Easter. Take a look at this here. And this is to the, to, to, to the beat of, haven't you heard? Dun, 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 dun. Shamika, you being of the religion uh, 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 just coming out of the religion. Is this how we doing it now? Is this what's happening in the churches? Is, is this? That's a bearded man who's twerking to Kirk Franklin. Twerking to Kirk Franklin. And this is, I'm just asking, is this how we doing it now? Is this, is this what's happening, Shamika? You, you're a former pastor. Is this what's going on? Uh, yes, I do think it's going on. And that's a great question, Jimmy, because so in this video, actually, this is Saucy Santana, who is a social media personality, really big, really popular, who created a challenge on TikTok. And what's been happening is people have been taking the dance and putting it to other music. So to his credit, when he realized someone put it to Kurt Franklin, he has been blocking these people. But it acts it, it to me, it makes me wonder when did we stop respecting religion or reverencing God? Because who would even think that it's okay to put something like this to gospel music? And when I ask myself that question, I have to be honest to say, I think we've allowed that in the church because we've let gospel our artists who I think maybe intentionally were really trying to win so. I don't know, but in, in an effort mm. to be likable, they've watered down the word of God and they have wanted the same fame and notoriety as, as secular artists 
and they haven't been doing what they're supposed to do for a long time, which is live Jesus, because he said, if I be lifted up, I'll uh, draw all men unto me. They've been lifting themselves. So we've been watering down gospel music for a long time, making it very secular sounding. We have to go way back to BB and CC Winans for a long time. I didn't know they were brother and sister. I thought they were husband and wife singing love songs until I realized, oh, those are gospel songs. We let Kurt Franklin come in. We had Mary Mary come in and we have not been the watchman on the wall. We are supposed to cry loud and spare not. We have been sparing people and letting them get away with a lot of this secular activity for a very long time. So I see why somebody would disrespect uh, gospel music and put something like this to it. You know what? Y you, you have just raised this to a level that I was not anticipating because you, you done hit my soul and spirit because uh, I listen to a lot of gospel music. Mm -hmm. And I have to admit like Kirk Franklin stomp. It make you feel something. It makes me dance. It makes mm -hmm. me. Makes you want to dance, yeah. makes you want to stomp. There it you go. Makes, <laughs> it, 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 and, and I'm wondering, and, and again, you've kind of answered the question already, but I have I have thought to myself, is this right? Now, Stomp's not my favorite gospel song, but when like it comes smile. on. I like Smile. Uh, <laughs> Every time I smile. I mean, I love Kurt. I'm, I'm saying that I agree with you wholeheartedly. Go ahead. But I'm just wondering, is, because sometimes I, I do ask myself, like, hey, you know what? If Stomp is what it takes to bait some young people into to the church, is is that a good tactic, a good ploy? Is Kirk taking the gospel music out to an audience that normally wouldn't hear it and opening them up for, you know, better gospel music? No. No. This song that we're talking about, when I heard John talk about this morning, he said uh, the Kirk Franklin video. Yeah. I listen, I'm like, what the hell? The song, this is, bottom line, this ain't no church song. This is Evelyn Champagne King's song. Haven't you heard? Haven't you heard? Dun, 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 dun. This ain't no church song. This is a, a, a cultural song, a street song that was played in the club. I think a lot of people would, would think that Stomp is made for the club. Exactly. He had, either I think, Salt or Pepper One on... Uh, doing some bars on it. The remix. What, Shamika, what's your take? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Shamika, what, what's your take on Kirk Franklin and where he's taking gospel music? Uh, I don't really know if Kirk Franklin has really opened the door to bring other people in so much as I think it's, it's kind of maybe pulled him to the other side a little bit. So you're supposed to come out from among them and be separate. I don't necessarily believe that's what's happened. And we, we are looking at some of the fruit of that from his son having struggles, being bisexual and in, in a big mess right now. Um, I don't know if I feel like he's opened the door so much as 
people may listen to it. People may bop their heads to it, but I don't know if it's giving them a closer, uh, more authentic relationship with God. And so I don't know if what he has intended to do has really worked. But when you listen to Kurt Franklin music, you even watch him dancing. Sometimes his body moves in ways that it should not move to gospel music. And I think music has a Amen. spirit. It's just like when I hear like island music or Caribbean music, my body does something totally different than if I was listening to maybe country music or just. So I think we have to be very careful when we're playing certain things and claiming that we want to do something, uh, you know, bring somebody in. Are we really setting a standard and, and being separate from them or are we being carnal minded? Because if we're being carnal minded, we're only going to get death. And that's exactly what I, I think we're seeing all over the place. Mm, I'm, I think I'm going to bring this up and I'm going to play this clip. I may have you back on Wednesday because uh, I want to talk to Anthony and Bobby about this. Uh, this is an interesting topic. I'm glad y'all brought it up. Good job, Uncle Jimmy. Good job, Shamika. Shamika, we're going to let you go. Thank you. Uh, Thank Jimmy, you. We, we've gone long here, so let's do this uh, approval rating on. Let, let's let's zoom Shoot. through this approval rating Shoot, on buddy. Jack Dorsey, former CEO of Twitter, Shoot. founder of Twitter. Uh, job performance, you know, he resigned as CEO. He's still on the board. He's talking out of both sides of his mouth. I give him a 10 in job performance. We're close. I gave him a 12. And normally, you know, if you don't have no job, I give you no points. But in this case, I'm going to give you a 12 because you gracefully stepped down, as opposed to you and I who have to resign uh, due to involuntary separations. <laughs> <laughs> it's a difference. Uh, character, again, as I just said, he's kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth. He, he signed on to the unanimous poison pill and then is taking a dump on on Twitter and the board all weekend. I give him a 12 in character. I give him a 15 and you're right. Uh, he's speaking out both sides of his neck because now he's you speaking out now, but you wasn't speaking out in the beginning when this thing first started, was you? OK, so go ahead. Uh, authenticity. Same deal. I'm kind of right down the middle on him. Dude's from St. Louis, from the middle of the country, but he got all them Silicon Valley values. Uh, I'll give him a 13 in uh, authenticity. Goose egg, zero. Mm. This is the dude that actually created Twitter. Yeah. He created this Twitter in the Wuhan lab. <laughs> and now he said to Pertoma, I don't know what to do. I don't know. You know what the hell to do. You created it. Don't act like you know. This is your beast. You handle it. No, you get a zero. You don't get a chance to act like you don't know what happened here. Uh, it factor, I'm kind of right down the middle again, a 14, uh, you know, he's Jack Doyle, he wears that beard, everybody knows who he is, he got a very distinct look, uh, and he, you know, he created Twitter, so I give him a 14 in it factor. You just hit it, I give him a 10, we're not even sure who the guy, I don't even know who the hell this guy is if you take the beard off of him, but the fact is, he created Twitter, so he's loaded, okay, so there you go, I'm gonna give him a 10. All right, we uh, both have him at a dumpster fire. I have him at a high dumpster fire, 49. You have him at a 37. Uh, as a mild dumpster fire. Mild. Smoldering dumpster Mine fire. Mine is mild. <laughs> All right, we're out of time. And I hear, speaking of smoldering. Yeah, smoldering hot tomorrow. All right, we gotta go.
give and get back We are receiving all the seed when we all wanna be free We want freedom I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want. 